Welcome to episode 233 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. This is our fourth and final recap recap episode recap episode from 2017 uh this is the last one before we get back we've already recorded uh, the next one yeah we're so, good like we're it's coming uh but we hope you enjoy this last recap uh just to sum up the rest of 2017 and then uh we'll catch you with new episodes next week to kick off 2018 one new episode not plural new Brian. episodes every day next week oh god strap in that's a mistake get ready it's not a mistake this episode is brought to you by Reactor. That's with a K because Finnish alphabet doesn't have a C. The more you know. They sent us some more Finnish uh, fun facts, like the fact that the Finnish word for a UI designer is katalitema sunitelia, sunitelia, or something like that. Which, if you want to be one of those, boy, have we got a job for you. Reactor is trying to hire UI designers all over the world honestly they're working on some really cool projects they've worked with adidas and hbo and supercell and never think on like huge product challenges and they even take on their own challenges like they're building a self-driving ferry that will transport people between the islands of finland which is ridiculous and awesome i wonder if it's powered by a reactor it seems appropriate reactor get at us we'd love to know if it's reactor powered ferry um maybe like fusion or fission or something like that it would be very neat so if these kinds of challenges sound interesting to you whether it's building an autonomous ferry or you just are interested in working on challenging product problems for some of the world's largest companies uh reactor wants you to join them they're hiring for a number of product roles uh definitely emphasizing the fact that product designers can come from all different kinds of backgrounds uh so Rather than coming in with this predefined idea of what, what the requirements should be or what exactly they want, uh, they just want you to reach out and tell them about what your skills, experience, your ambitions, and what your dream role in a company would look like. And they want to work with you to make sure that that role fits your your ideal job. Well, And if you're not into the letter C, but are into boats, boy, have we got a job for you. You said, boy, have we got a job for you three times. Boy, have we got a job for you. And girl. Girl, have we got a job for you. Girl. All right, this is bad. Go to reactor.com slash careers to learn more. Check out their website. It's dope. Check out some of their projects. Really great. And if you want to get in on that autonomous ferry business, now's the time. Again, reactor with a K dot com slash careers. And tell them we sent you. And with that, let's get into episode 233. It's a recap. All right, let's kick it off. Here we go from episode 222, lucky number with Fiona Rolander. She uh, came all the way to tell us about designing onboarding flows. Onboarding is uh, continually one of the most challenging uh, and interesting areas of product design. Uh, and Fiona helps break us down how she thinks about it, strategies, tips, uh, all about onboarding in this short clip from episode 222. Here we go. Yeah, I had like four different things I was choosing from, but the projects at Spotify sounded fun. Mm. I got to work with, I work with onboarding. Um, and yeah, that was a project that was, you know, solely focused on onboarding. I was pretty excited. And when it's you, weird to think about the fact that companies like have projects that are just like just onboarding. Yeah. Like onboarding has always been like an afterthought of for like most of the products I've worked on. It's I know, like, that's so Okay, sad. we built the thing, now we have to teach people how to use it. And that's why it doesn't work a lot of the time, I feel. 
Tell me more. Well, so it's like, you know, that typical, like, here are pointers to all our UI parts. And yep. people are like, oh, God. <laughs> tooltip, uh, tooltip, tooltip. I know. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like onboarding needs so much more love than it's it's getting currently. If you If you Google, like, onboarding inspiration, you'll get, like, here are three slides, you know, with the the pagers and like, oh, illustrations, they all kind of mm-hmm. look the same. And people are so used to going like, slide, slide, slide. Okay, now I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, obviously that did not work. They don't get the value. They don't. Um, yeah, I've, sometimes I think about it like, you know, like it's af- as if you're going to visit a friend at their house and someone in the door is like, yo, we have Santo candles in the bathroom and there is also like a pool in the backyard and there's this and that. And you're like, Sounds like a dope house. I, you're like, I don't even know Scented what. candles Scented and candles? The pool? What? This I house mean, has it all. Maybe that's a good analogy though. For some people, they'd be like, yo, cool, <laughs> scented candles. I'm into that. Um, but I'm like, they don't even, like people don't even know why they're in the house. What I'm if like, you had tooltips on your bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> toilet paper here <laughs> flush here airbnbs do that really <laughs> yeah oh. and it's very helpful it is very oh this like ar tour yeah, thing or what? No, no 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 just like put oh, that would, fucking is that a thing? like sticky uh, notes a, on everything i think it was a like a concept that someone made yeah yeah that was uh-huh. a while ago that got a lot of attention it was just some person made a ar tour thing yeah, to their the, house? The, it's like an AR manual for an Airbnb thing. Oh. Yeah. But low tech isn't it like labels, pretty right? self-explainable when you're like in you, a house? No, no, no. It's no? like this light switch does this one thing in particular. Oh. Don't do it. Or, or, okay. or, like, or like here's how you adjust the thermostat. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, I, I guess. It's thermostats. I, I was still thinking about the... Press here to flush, you know, oh. <laughs> like you get that. <laughs> I mean, or maybe it's a well, hand, there you are know. some pretty crazy yeah. toilets. Yeah. I feel here. like Make I would hand. do that for fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but so, like, in general, I feel, you know, um, a lot of the time people are, it's the last thing you do. You're like, okay, we're shipping now. We have to tell people what it is. So <laughs> Sweet. It, it's just like, okay, you're going to make this shitty thing that no one's going to get. And now they're in your product. And, and they didn't even understand the core value or something. And I, yeah, I'm passionate about that space. Where do you start when you're revamping? How do you onboard into onboarding? onboarding? Yeah. Oh, well, onboarding into onboarding is just like probably my least favorite part of onboarding word is work is just understanding all the metrics. It's just like, okay, so what are people liking? What are our core features? You know, like what? What what are people doing? And it's more so than just, um, I mean, if you do like user test and you're like, it's centered around one feature, this is like, what is the whole app about? And it's, that's a lot of understanding um, to be made. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's onboarding into onboarding. Just like, what have we tested before? What didn't work? What? How was those tests run? Like, was that sell this? And that, uh, yeah. And most of the time drowned. that stuff's not documented. Exactly. And... It's like, okay, no, we ruled that out because that didn't work. You're like, well, how did you run the test? What did the design look like? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of detective work. Just Once kinda... you get past that though. Yeah. Then what? Um, then I would say like obviously it's about like finding a good balance of like what what is kind of like our core beliefs, like how if how do we want to introduce people to this product? Mm-hmm. Um, does the product itself have a means to like explain itself? Like it, chat apps now are doing like chat with me to understand the app, 
which is pretty like. I mean, that's the Slack bot thing, it, right? Like, yeah, and that's that's pretty cool. Like you're using your own medium to. That's like sick. If uh, Spotify would have a whole song, a three minute song, oh, like fuck, let me no. just sing you. Through. Yeah, no, I'm, don't worry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> exactly. No, but if they would like, it's like the Virgin America thing that you get stuck in your head. I hate that. Shit. What is that? You ever phone Virgin? No. They oh, have a music yeah. video for how to Actually, put on a seatbelt. Yes, I have flown. Yeah, I've seen that. Isn't it like quirky fun? And they're just like. I mean, it is. Yeah. Quirky fun is one way to put it. It is quirky yeah. fun in the worst kind of way. I guess it's like depends how many times you fly the same thing. Yeah. If you hate it or more it's, like, than, it's probably not the worst the first time, but like. No, I, I feel I've flown Virgin like once or twice. And I'm like, hmm, yeah. that was cute. You know. And, and then, then the second time you're like. Oh, Shut up. Fuck, this thing's like oh, eight minutes we're long. We're doing this again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel about Norwegian Air. So I fly it so much, and I'm like, "Oh, here are those animated blonde little kids," and I just hate them. This one's going over my head. Uh, Norwegian Air. What's a plane? Animated. <laughs> <laughs> what is a plane? Sick. <laughs> animated blonde children. But it's just you know, like uh, instead of having real people actor, they they're all you know, like they couldn't afford the real people. Yeah, that's <laughs> what <laughs> so they drew them. So they had someone have to like animate the whole thing. That's probably more expensive than like. <laughs> Yo, come wear this thing for an hour and mm. just sing about a plane. Mm. I don't know. What about for non-obvious products, like not chat apps? Onboarding? Yeah. Um, I don't what know. Some, I don't feel there's like tricks. a cookie cutter like tips and tricks. Tips and <clears throat> tricks. Well, I am very I'm very passionate about um having education be contextual. So like not front load every not tell you like like I was saying about like the scented candles, like here is everything you need to know about your whole journey, but like more understand like why your journey to the bathroom, <laughs> your journey towards the bathroom. No, but like, what is the point of me being here? Why should I use this app? Mm-hmm. How is it gonna? Do you know who Samuel Hulick is? Yeah, oh, love that guy. Does he the, does the user onboarding? Yes, yeah, yeah. he's so awesome. Um, but he talks a lot about like how is this app going to improve my life? You know, you see your life before and after using this product and how is it going to become better by having this other thing in my life mm-hmm. and i think that's a lot how i think about i mean regardless of what type of app it is but you know get that message through first mm-hmm. and then have other things be contextual so say i'm like i don't know um out moving or like out running and then you could be like are you out running might, you might want to do this You're thing. moving about the speed of a <laughs> exactly. runner. Uh, you know, just try to like take your context and uh, and provide like education around some, I mean, when it makes sense instead yeah. of like for the time when you go out running, perhaps maybe in the future, maybe you're not a runner. Oh, right. you're in a wheelchair. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, like, uh, like shit. Uh, shit. Now I told you what I think. You know, yeah. it's just better to, it's like serve things when they make sense. Mm-hmm. Our next clip is from episode 189 with your co-founder and mine, Max Stoiber. And by you, I mean Brian specifically because he's sitting across from me and he is Brian's and my co-founder. And what did you mean by mine? Me? Me personally. Oh. Bryn Jackson. Braxton. Don't do that. Uh, he's talking about how and why you should learn JavaScript as a designer. Oh, it's a good sales pitch. Controversial. And he has resources. <laughs> uh, so if you want to learn JavaScript or if you're on the fence, or if you disagree and you want to hear a counter-argument. Max Stoiber, he's, he's got it. He comes with them. He's the JavaScript boy. Sure. Uh, here's episode 189 with Max Stoiber. 
I got into programming through Minecraft and through school. Mm-hmm. Um, where oh, you're that era? Yeah, I'm. I'm that era. A Minecraft baby. <laughs> I played three thousand hours of Minecraft, and I wanted to have an, like we wanted to have our own sort of environment. So, we, so I wanted to set up a Minecraft server. But when you're a thirteen year old kid, you've never heard of what a service, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what that is. So I Google and I try to figure out how to set up a server, how to run a Minecraft on that. You picture like the the three D like section from like hackers. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Blue stacks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and so I got a bit into service, and then. I got into computers in general. Like I did a bunch of, you know, I was like a tech support person, but I never really did programming. Um, and then we had to, um, for our, when you graduate school in Austria, you have to write like a 40 page thesis about a topic that you choose, right? Um, and for some reason that I don't know anymore, I chose to write about TCP IP, about network protocols, which is one of the most boring topics you can imagine, right? TCP IP is super boring. Like there's nothing practical about TCPIP, zero. But I had this afterwards. I had this 40-page paper about TCPIP. I knew exactly how every single bit transfers in the internet. I was like, how can I use this knowledge? And one of the most simple things you can do with that knowledge is make a website, right? Mm-hmm. Just make a website, set up a web server, and then make a website. And so I did that. And then I had a web server, and then you know I put a tiny HTML file there, and I thought, well, now I have a website that says "Hello World." But I could also put other stuff there. What if, like, what if I? What if you just said "Hello World" a bunch of times? <laughs> <laughs> For example, what if I put my name there? And then I thought, well, this looks like crap. This doesn't look as good as Brian's portfolio. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, I miss <laughs> that Brian's portfolio is no longer on the website. Like that makes me very sad. <laughs> it's so good. His portfolio is excellent. No longer exists. That was the portfolio that made me think the portfolios were worthwhile. <gasps> oh, buddy! You restored my faith. Thank you. <laughs> And now it's gone. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and so then I tried CSS. And then I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I thought, well, I want to be able to change the content without changing the files, though. Mm. So I set up a WordPress instance uh-huh. and got into CMSs. And then I thought, no, that's PHP is horrible. I don't want to learn this. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then over time, I just, you know, I just tinkered on my website. And then over time, got into JavaScript and then, you know, over time again to the whole React thing and well, no. building dynamic user interfaces and stuff. Why React? Why React? Um, I got an internship at a company in London called Animate, and I was there for three months. That's also where my weird half-British accent comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there, and after two months, they went, so, Max, we've taught you a lot about HTML, CSS, and jQuery. We're not really sure what we want to teach you for the last month. Like, you've been helping out on commercial projects. Like, what do you want to learn? And I was like, I have no idea. And my boss suggested there's this new cool JavaScript framework called React. We might want to use that on some projects. Do you want to like try building something with it? I was like, all right, I'm going to try. And so that's where my React comes from because they told me to try. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try. And I built a few things and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, this is freaking awesome. Why? Because the development experience is just great. Like, you can build dynamic user interfaces really, really easily. Let's talk more. And the reason this is important and I want to talk more is because in theory, there are designers listening to this. And for me, learning React has been one of the best prototyping tools it, to do real live things with real live data that has interaction. And It like, is one of the most valuable things I've gotten to use in like exploring how to build design systems. Like yeah. that component structure is perfect yeah. for it. So, so could you share a little more for maybe like imagine someone that has heard the term React, knows it's the hot new thing, but 
Like, what is it? Why is it an important development in the JavaScript <laughs> development? World, right? Yeah. yeah. So before, <laughs> before React, there were a bunch of JavaScript frameworks, right? Because people started building rich interactive web applications, right? We have things like Figma, which is basically Photoshop in the browser or Sketch in the browser. Wow, right? dude. Come on, man. Sorry, sorry. I didn't want to hurt Bryn here. Deep cuts. <laughs> Deep cuts. Um, <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's like a WebGL like drawing layer be- sure, sure, behind sure, sure. a sure. bunch of React. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the thing is, we've started building these really interactive applications um, with JavaScript. And when you build a big, really interactive application, you're going to run into issues because it's hard. Like, it's not easy building interactive applications. I mean, so people started building frameworks for doing it. Like, the first ones were like, you know, you you could probably even count count jQuery and prototype JS and stuff, but the you know the first real framework was I think Backbone JS, which a bunch of, which, which a bunch of people used just because it made things much easier because it gave you a structuring application and it sort of took some ideas from a backend world and gave you some structure into how you build your interactive stuff, um, and from that evolved a bunch of other frameworks like Angular, um, and then React came on the scene three years ago I think two three years ago. Um, and what's interesting about React is that it has a very strict component model. So you build your user interfaces as components, and there's no way around that. Like, you have to build components. I guess you could build two really big components for each page, but it, it'll feel really weird. Like, uh-huh. it's not something that React encourages or makes easy, right? It, React makes it easy to build lots of tiny components that you reuse throughout your entire application, which works really well for dynamic user interfaces. And it also takes care of performance and re-rendering for you so that you, in 99% of, in 99.9% percent of cases you're not going to have to worry about performance when you write a React app, right? Where in other, where in other um, frameworks or when you do it manually, you, you'd have to take care of like the rendering loop and not re-rendering too often so it's still at 60 milliseconds so it doesn't like block your main thread and you're redrawing and stuff. And it's horrible. Like I don't want to have to worry about that. I just want to write my components. Yeah, I wouldn't it. know how to worry about that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> React, I would probably just explode. Midway through the year, we caught up with Morgan Santos in episode 204. And in this one, we talked about why she ended up studying computer science. And uh, (laughs) towards the end of this clip, she basically caused Bryn and I to get in a fight that nearly ended the podcast. Uh, Yeah, we had a a design details divorce. It was very fun, very funny, and we hope you enjoy it. This is episode the kids in episode 204 with Morgan Santos. And I really don't know when I made the decision to study computer science. It was purely a practical one, though, because I didn't want to go to grad school because I hated school. And I wanted to make a lot of money when I graduated. (laughs) (laughs) Your career counselor like, so what do you want to accomplish in life? I want to make some money. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like. That's it. But I don't want to hate myself, which is why I'm not in finance or something. Yeah. Like, I want to work a pretty normal work week and stuff. So you ended up studying computer science. Yeah. And I had like an emotional breakdown every semester because I wanted to study history. But my parents were like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, I don't know. Can't make money. Well, uh, maybe. Well, one of my closest friends is a developer now, and she makes more than I do, and she studied history. So what does that tell that you? That motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you end up ever enjoying it? Sometimes. And I still actually do enjoy coding. Like, I do it with game development and all this AR, VR stuff, or even just making weird websites. I, like, I enjoy doing that, but I don't care for computer science theory which I went to Berkeley and that was a huge focus was the theory and the math. How do you feel about big O notation? 
<laughs> I actually just read this book, though. It's called Grokking Algorithms. We and have that out there. It's, yeah, it's somewhere around here. And I do recommend it. It's yeah. the only theory book I've read that is somewhat approachable and friendly. Yeah. So if you're into that, that's the book to read. Um, I did take more theory classes than I needed to because there is something beautiful about it. <laughs> I hate this so much, but I'll sign up for more. I love to suffer. Glutton for punishment. Yeah, definitely. It's a big personality trait of mine. <laughs> Darkness. Suffering. Uh, s- self-suffering. Yeah. I'm actually a very happy person. <laughs> yeah, I'll, most I'll take, of what I knew about I'll, you previously was cutie selfies. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe guys should take more cute selfies, just like women do. Just the fact that you said cutie selfies on Twitter, I just laughed <laughs> yeah. so hard. I'm into cuteness and darkness. Huh. They can coexist. Like Pokemon. Like Jedis and Sith. Mm, well, they can't coexist. Well, they can. Mm, can they? <laughs> yeah. I That's feel like the they're point. not doing a great job at it. Well, they coexist to fight each other. Is that coexisting? Kind I, of. They both exist at the no, same time. No, that's not what coexisting no, means. No, I feel like that's coexist- exactly what coexisting means. No, it doesn't. Living I feel at the like same time, like, sure, no, they exist together. No, coexistence is, implies there's like a mutual, re- like the relationship yeah. like they is the reason other. for the existence. Have either of you ever been married? That's what coexisting means. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. I no. have not. Shit, I guess he wins. <laughs> I can't argue at this point. <laughs> My wife is going to edit this. It will be great. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, where were we? Uh, suffering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you came to enjoy the theory part. I appreciate that it's really beautiful and elegant. Um, I don't like how it's taught. I don't really like how any computer science is taught. There is this big emphasis on like Java. Yeah. Yes. Java. Yeah. I was just complaining about Java the other day and saying no one needs it. Um, I literally <laughs> knew someone in college whose goal was to, and I quote, hack the mainframe. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds weird. Have you ever seen hackers? <laughs> I have not. No. Because I get some great vibes off that <laughs> statement. It is kind of cool can now. Can we watch Hackers after this? <laughs> we totally can. That's okay. fine by me. Perfect. Um, but at the time, like, he just meant, you know, he wanted to, like, make his own compilers and just, like, get really into, like, the back end and the nitty gritty and, like, how computers actually work. And that's totally cool. Like, I'm down for people being into that. But that's all people were interested in. And you got made fun of if you were interested in design or even front end development. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, it was a really, like, macho culture. Yeesh. Which I feel was detrimental to everyone. Like yep. no one benefited from that. And just proving like, oh, like, you know, who's taking the hardest classes? It's well, like, who cares? I think this is still to some degree a trend in the industry today where oh, yeah. developers Yo. tend to make, I guess, vague comments about like, well, I'm not a designer because they don't really want to be a designer because designers mm-hmm. are less smart or whatever. They paid less. Truth. Yeah, there's all sorts of subtle things that fly around there, and most of it's just a measuring contest of like, I, who's smarter. I don't like bemoan that necessarily, but I think it's just silly. And I think the whole like developers can't do design work thing is bizarrely terrible. But yep, yeah, I think they just get away with it because most people, developers included, don't really understand how programming or computers work. Ooh, <laughs> like hot take. 
I mean, at the end of the day, could you honestly walk me through how every part of your computer and every part of the internet honestly works? So you're saying no. you want to talk about logic gates and DNS servers? <laughs> Dude, I took an electrical engineering class. Like, But you don't have to know that I stuff say to be a you developer, ex- right? Yeah, and I totally believe you don't have to know that stuff. But I think a lot of people kind of hide behind it. Of like, hmm, it's complicated. Like, mm-hmm. I can't explain it. So don't question me. Whereas with design, like people literally see it. Mm. So everyone's got an opinion about it. I feel that's the worst part of design though, is just the visual stuff. Uh, oh, I love the visual no, stuff. No, the visuals are good. I, I feel like, but, uh, like that, but then people evaluate it and give their stupid commentary on something them. that roughly like it matters, but it's not like the core of the thing. I don't know. Design I, is dumb. I, Fuck it all. The show's over. And you said I have a hot take. <laughs> I, I can't drop the Jesus. mic because it's on a stand, but this I want to. This is the hottest take I've ever think. Uh, oh, I'm here for the hot takes. I totally disagree. I think visuals are important. I think they matter. I think... Uh, that says you can't do them. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think sometimes they're over-indexed on importance or misprioritized. Why are you glaring at me? What, am, I, am, I, am I bringing down design details? God, you guys are witnessing. We're getting very You are here. witnessing the implosion as we speak. This next clip comes from episode 187 with Ryan Hassan. He works at Dropbox on paper. And we talked about the ethical decisions and rep- repercussions of new technology. He works on a lot of things around the idea of attention and like just, just side projects that kind of involve future technology and just kind of do you work forward from an idea to like how to defend against like bad actors or do you work backwards from what what this could end up being to something that could be more positive i guess so here's episode 187 with ryan hassan oh my god you've done a lot of stuff Mm. yeah i think so i think in college when again very theoretical um i wanted kind of an outlet I, I wanted to like apply what I was learning in some form. Um, and so for example, if I was like taking like a natural language processing class, we would be focused on um, kind of the fundamentals, but then I would want to kind of take what I was learning and see if there was kind of some user facing thing that I could build with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like definitely not the best programmer by any means. It's like kind of like dangerously enough. And so I would kind of go off late at night and kind of try to cobble together something that could like, kind of demo something interesting using whatever I was learning. Um, what are some examples? Mm, so I or like your favorite ones. Yeah. I think there was this brief theme where I was really fascinated by attention and like can a system. I was be, hoping that would be the one you would talk about. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, especially like I remember when Facebook was kind of gaining a lot of steam, I had this like kind of curiosity about like, can a system be, aware of your attention and kind of be respectful of that attention. Um, and so like, actually I remember in paper, like playing around with the demos of like, you know, maybe like while you're typing, like we should actually pause all your notifications and like wait for you to complete your thought before we actually hit the bell. Mm-hmm. Because that probably that five, 10 second difference probably doesn't actually make a huge impact um, on like your needs, but it makes a nice impact on like your ability to complete your thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, similarly, I was like looking at, like, oh, like maybe, I mean, you've played with like echoes, right? And so uh-huh. like maybe as opposed to having like a keyword to say, like, you know, Alexa, like do this. I, I probably just triggered a bunch of Alexa. Well, you're going to trigger mine. So. <laughs> Alexa. Yeah. 
but like as opposed to kind of engaging it that way, like maybe I could just like look at the device and it would be aware that I was looking at it and be able to interact with me that way. So it's through facial recognition, right? Exactly. So I should be able to like look at my computer and say like, hey, what time is it? And it should know that I'm addressing the computer. Um, and also like other ways to do it passively. So like maybe I have a recording device right now. I promise I don't, but like maybe, <laughs> well, maybe we do. this is copyright. Well, let, me, let me disclose this. We, we have a recording device right now. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Are you sure? Well, like, so, you know, <laughs> big surprise. We needed you to sign the form. <laughs> but like maybe I could put, you know, imagine this was like a meeting and maybe I could put a device like on the table. Um, that would record everything we were saying. And maybe it could pick up um, important sentences or things we said we would do next and kind of um, capture those automatically. Mm-hmm. And so if I said, hey, like, do you want to get coffee um, tomorrow? Maybe it could automatically capture that and like give myself a reminder to do that. Um, but there are other kind of forms of that. So like if you kind of have a general idea of like, like imagine like a com- computer had like a, um, a number that it could generate, like a confidence around um, how much how, how much co- um, you're fo- kind of focused on the device at that point, um, and like then you could kind of abstractly talk about like how should the computer interact with you based on your, the attention you're giving it, and so one input for confidence around your attention is you know your gaze. Are you looking at it? But there's other other things like for a mobile device, we can use like maybe like the gyroscope. Like, are you kind of holding it? Are you touching the screen? Are you scrolling around somewhere to the kind of gauge? Like, are you paying attention to this or or not? And so, like, one really, like, horrible demo was, like, um, maybe, like, if I'm, like, reading something on an iPad, like, I should be able to, like, set it down and, like, have the device, like, be aware that I've stopped reading it and, like, try to, like, pick up and, like, start, you know, reading whatever I was reading, like, out loud. And so I can walk away like keep hearing like what that article going on and then come back to it and have it kind of scroll to the right position and let me pick back up again horrible demos but i don't know if i'm becoming already like an old crotchety person Mm -hmm. you are the oldest crotchetiest person i know some of those things like i understand why they're inherently interesting Mm -hmm. like it's an interesting problem to try and think about but i get scared thinking of computers that know where i'm looking all the time or passive listeners that are trying to understand my intent yeah how did you think about that kind of stuff or did you go that deep on like what are the implications of this in the wrong hands or this implemented by a government or something like that yeah so the ethical side is something that i totally have did not push on yeah um i think one of the things that i'm realizing in like my own work right now is that there is this like approach this like kind of human-centered like need or problem driven approach, um, which is like much more methodical. Um, but there are other ways to kind of explore and like uh, try things. And one of those is kind of learning by making and tinkering. Um, and I haven't, I don't really have like formalized thoughts here, but I think there is value in like playing with things and seeing what is possible. And then kind of from there exploring like the implications. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't do that. On my own. What are your I mean, that, that comes down to like could versus should, right? Like I can do this now. Should I? And like how should I approach it? If yes, like well, let's get unformalized thoughts because I think this is an interesting thing as we talk about product design, especially at big companies like Dropbox. Like we can do almost anything. We can do whatever we want, but should we? And do we really understand the long term repercussions of such a thing? Like. 
do we really understand the long-term repercussions of every single human having a camera and microphone that can be remotely activated in their pocket? Like, yeah. Do we really understand? Yeah. I feel like right now, at least at Dropbox, I'm hoping that I can find like time to work on kind of longer term things like that. Yeah. Um, maybe not specifically around recording devices, but you know, like there, there is this like, <laughs> how do we get a Dropbox voice recorder in everyone's pocket? <laughs> <laughs> we've never, just, well, just clear, we've never considered that. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. He's winking so aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think there, there's like value in kind of short term, like execution work of like, this is a, a problem that we know we have and we want to address like over the next few months or the next few years. And then there's also this aspect of forming your understanding of, you know, what people need, what, what is possible um, that right now it is, doesn't have a lot of structure around it and yeah. kind of happens mostly through people kind of working on something on the side or like through hack weeks and things like that. Like I think of, um, for example, um, if, I don't know if you've heard of like Dropbox um, Infinite. I think it's called SmartSync now. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically that, you know, you should be able to have files on your computer um, and access them, and, but they're not actually stored on your computer until mm-hmm. you double click them. Um, stuff like that didn't come out of like a decision that, you know, we need to figure this out. It came out of um, Ben Newhouse, who was an engineer kind of experimenting during Hack Week and realizing that this was possible and then circulating, like showing that to the whole company. Um, it was like a technical insight uh, that then led to a bunch of questions about, okay, how should this work? And uh, what are the right ways to control this? So the inception I, point is slightly different. I see. So if I understand correctly, you're saying it's okay to try these experiments, like move really fast, try and execute on a bunch of different ideas, see where those ideas take you. And after you come across an interesting idea, then evaluate whether this is something that's a net benefit for the people who will use it. Like the long, longer term repercussions, the ethical repercussions, environmental, et cetera. Right. Yeah. But it's worthwhile to move fast and try lots and lots of things. I guess I'm saying that that's one approach sure. that I, that can lead to interesting results. Like there are other approaches, like you can start with the kind of like futurist, like speculative side and say like, okay, in, you know, 10 years, like what will X be like and what, what are the ethical repercussions there? And then work backwards from that. Um, that's another kind of approach that you can take. Sure. Um, but like neither of these things are things that I super commonly see um, yeah. in the industry. Yeah, this isn't your day-to-day. Definitely not the day-to-day. <laughs> Musings over coffee in the morning. Well, I mean, so I, I, whenever I look at, for example, um, like interaction design portfolios, I think the like canonical example will be like, um, a problem around like what what will cars be like you know ten years from now and people will capture like all sorts of interesting trends around you know people moving to cities you know cars becoming autonomous people sharing these like spaces and come to a bunch of like interesting insights there but it's like very difficult to like take those sorts of like visions of like the future and work backwards towards like a concrete product that you're going to ship over like the next few years uh-huh. but. I don't think that means that there's anything invalid about that approach. I think it's an interesting approach. It's just not something that you see in industry super commonly. Next up, we caught up with Patrick Wong. He's a design manager currently at Lyft. Uh, But in this episode, we talk about his early days and challenges of designing at Lyft. He was one of the first few designers there. Uh, What that looked like at at Lyft, which is now a, a gigantic company, probably no longer a startup. 
uh, but what was going on back in the day when they were first getting started, uh, and then how he took those learnings and transitioned into management. The the management transition has been another huge theme for us in 2017, uh, and Patrick does a good job of explaining the way he went through it in episode 219. What were some of the biggest challenges in the, the early days with just four designers? Ooh, yeah, there were a lot of challenges. Um, I think the big challenges were really prioritizing all the needs of the business with our available resources. So as you can imagine, you know, three years ago was right around that point where Lyft started to take off and get a little bit more popular, which meant we were doing all kinds of things, which meant the four designers on the team were juggling several projects at once. So it was it was a bit of a challenge to figure out how do we prioritize our energy and our time hmm. and really focus. Did you have any helpful ways to like eliminate things that sounded appealing to work on, but realized maybe weren't that impactful on the underlying business? Like how did you sort through this zillion things you could be doing to come up with the things that the four of you were actually going to tackle? I think the way we did that was we started to do user research. So we didn't have a researcher at the time, but Mm -hmm. it was important for us as a design team to really talk to our drivers, our riders, and sort of really understand what their most important needs were at that time and we sort of prioritized the work that way so there's definitely things like you know internal tools or or other projects that needed design help that we just really didn't get to because uh in terms of impact on on who's using our product that wasn't sort of the highest priority okay yeah so you started early and at some point along the way you maybe stopped doing ic work because yeah. you're now a design manager. What happened? Yeah. Um, so I became a design manager in, I think, February of 2016. So last year. Um, and it was sort of just a really natural progression. So I had been taking on more responsibility. And it got to a point where the only way for me to have more impact was to sort of step back away from the individual projects and sort of have a higher view of sort of what everybody on the team was working on and making an impact sort of at that vantage point. So it was, it was kind of a natural transition. We grew to a point where we sort of needed leads for each area that we had on the app and it just so happened that, you know, the driver's side needed more help. And that was something that I got really excited about and, and sort of just took the lead on there. And and then we formalized it. Was management something you'd had on your mind leading up to that? I think for me, it was I wanted a, a challenge. I wanted to do something outside of my comfort zone. I, I don't know if I would necessarily say I've always had these thoughts of I want to be a manager per se. It was always... How do I have more impact? And once I realized that by managing a team of designers, I can accomplish sort of what I want to, which is have impact on the product and, you know, get ideas through that I really realized through management that was sort of, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. It's kind of a shortcut (laughs) to that like impact, right? Like management is an impact multiplier, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, management allowed me to be a multiplier in terms of the amount of things I could work on at any given moment, mm-hmm. though I didn't necessarily have my hands 
on at that point. On pixels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. my fingers weren't <laughs> touching the pixels. Do you miss the pixels? I think there are times where I, I miss kind of tinkering and trying out new design tools and, you know, working on things like that. But I try to scratch those itches outside of work with, you know, side projects. And yeah, I kind of like heard that. you described as the, the design tool guy internally. Yeah, I definitely evangelized design <laughs> uh, tools. Yes. Um, it started. I know with, at some point it was principle. We started with Pixate first okay. was a big one, and then we started to look at principle. And now principle is sort of the most widely used mm. tool. You know, there's people also using Framer, uh, some Facebook people using Origami. So we have a nice mix of different tools that are being used on the team. This next clip comes from episode 186 with Sarah Pease. Sarah works at Facebook and she used to work at Figma and she was talking about kind of making the jump into her time at Figma from the East Coast moving out here to SF, uh, Palo Alto specifically, and taking that risk in order to be in the right place to learn versus being comfortable and safe. And it's a really interesting clip. So here's episode 186 with Sarah Pease. We're literally in a garage in Palo Alto, like a converted auto mechanics garage. Did you know that's what you'd signed up for? No, uh, my first day was the I first day was in stereotype. the office. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like my first day I spent assembling Ikea furniture, ironically. Holy. That was the first day in the first office. They had, I think, had like a small space before, but um, yeah, I moved all my stuff out, was living above the detached garage of a house in Palo Alto, knew not a soul down there. It was very interesting. Um, definitely out of my comfort zone. I questioned probably every day for a year, like, should I have just moved to New York with all my other friends? And like, I could be working for like a kitchenware company, yeah. designing spatulas all day. And it would be comfortable and safe. And I could take the train home in three hours and it'd be no problem. So what kept you? Probably a bit of a masochist, I guess. No. <laughs> um, what kept me? I enjoy assembling IKEA furniture. It's really weird. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, what kept me was being able to work on something new, and I was just learning so much, so 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 much. I had never worked with an engineer before, so if you can imagine what that's like now, <laughs> it's like every single thing they tell you is is new. And well, so, moving from zero to Evan is a yeah. strong move. <laughs> exactly. Um, zero to Evan. I like that. So, yeah, I mean, it was incredibly satisfying in that way, but simultaneously exhausting if you think about, like, that feeling you have after a day of learning new things. It was like that every day for me for months. And I had felt like I'd pretty much gotten off the plane on an alien planet in California. I mean, I'd been here to visit, but it's really different living here and Palo Alto especially is its own unique like <laughs> it's like the heart of the valley a little bit right like San Francisco is a little detached from that culture in some ways but yeah Palo Alto I mean if I left my house at the same time every morning I'd ride my bike to work I would pass like the same people crossing the same streets at the same time like clockwork yeah it was or crazy. You live in the Truman Show. That's That was my theory for a while. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would Wouldn't be way be too extensive to pull it off. Crazy if, if you were Truman. 
uh, turn off the camera. Is this when you tell me? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Everything was culminating. Your whole to life's this been moment. building up to this moment, the big reveal. No, I'm pretty sure I'm not Truman. I won't tell you about all the time I've spent thinking about that. Good. But keep keep believing that. Mm-hmm. No, I mean being in Palo Alto was very isolating, but at the same time I think gave me the space to really focus on like this new company, like a new field of work. Everything just felt new. And so I really think I just like ripped the band-aid off all at once, which was painful, but I think I'm way better because of it. Yeah. And I'm way more comfortable making bigger changes. Like when I left Figma and I I had no idea what I was going to do next for work, like I don't think I would have been able to make a decision like that before I had like come to California and figured things out. I love that. It's like two things stand out is one, building a tolerance for uncertainty, Mm -hmm. like building a tolerance for painful transition, which scares the shit out of most people. Yeah, Uh, it is scary. It is scary. But the second is in the periods of doubt, optimizing for learning more than comfort. That feels like a cheat code to life is like, be where you will learn the most and not where you'll be the most comfortable. And maybe someday those will align. Yeah, I mean, I I think so. And, you know, the more you push the edge of your comfort zone, the bigger your comfort zone becomes. And I think the more comfortable you become, like, pushing that edge. Uh, Like, you know, a few years ago, I probably would have said no to your email to come on this show. I'm, like, talking about myself to, like, an audience of unknown people is... Two million. Two million of you out there? No, that's completely untrue. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. This is also where I can... Make things up. Uh, we are. Well, <laughs> this is a total of 2.5 million downloads now. That's pretty cool. That's impressive. That's unrelated, though. And it's all going to spiral out of control when people hear this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me know about that. <laughs> um, no, but I think, you know, like uh, last year was the first time I had spoken at a conference. Like you get these opportunities and it's so easy to say no because it's just scary and you're going to have to like do the work preparing side note. Why I love doing this. There's nothing to prepare. Uh Right. It's great. Thank you. That's why we love it too. Yeah. You just show up and talk. Yeah. But no, I think I've like had these moments. Like I just had my first work trip, international work trip. And like, there's something about that where it's so easy to just say, no, I think I'd rather stay home. Like I home is safe and you know, I can play with the dog and, ah, you know, sleep in my own bed. That sounds so nice. But, you Your know. Your bed made of buckets. <laughs> my bed is not made of buckets yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you added that. Yeah. 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 No, but I think just like the more you have these slightly uncomfortable experiences, it's like nothing crazy. It's just a little uncomfortable. You you know that you find value and doing them and it's easier to motivate yourself to like continue putting yourself in that slightly uncomfortable place right in episode 207 we caught up with alex estrada she's currently a designer at jane.com out in salt lake city uh we talked about her transition from marketing to product design when she was at asana uh, what that looked like some of the challenges and new skills she had to pick up uh, she made that transition uh that's been another like really common question that we get uh from folks throughout the last few years is is really transitioning from non-product designing roles into product design. And Alex talks about her experience there and, and what she learned. So here we go, episode 207 with Alex Estrada. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for, for that, okay. um, that change. What yeah. was the product design rotation like at Asana? 
Um, it was awesome. Um, I actually did an entire like, like retro on it today because I had to submit it and I had been putting it off for the past couple days. <laughs> what did you have to? What, yeah, what, did, to, do? what do you do like? in a retro? Uh, I just had to like write, you know, kind of like my learnings and uh, my thoughts and any suggestions I have for. Well, for, great. Like, the it's next fresh person. on your mind. Yeah. What were your learnings and thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the first thing. Um, like the biggest takeaway was like, I had been so, uh, like used to, um, working towards a deadline for marketing and like comm stuff where it's like, oh, like this is due at the end of the, at the end of the month. Like it has to get done one way or another versus on product. It seems much more like, no, we're going to like work through it and try to get, get to a good solution. And there's no real, I mean, some stuff has an end date, but most stuff is flexible. And that kind of drove me crazy because the like ocd planner in me was like but but when is it done yeah, like yeah. when is it done and everyone's like it's never, never done. <laughs> i'm just like oh shit. that's the beauty and the terror of it <laughs> yeah yeah and so part of me is like oh this is kind of cool and part of me is like oh my god what am i getting myself into which is i feel like when i'm scared it's probably a good thing right i think it's like you're doing something i that's think probably, it is a good thing yeah it's like that yeah. good terror. It's good terror. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was like the one of the big takeaways was like, oh my God, this is like like buckle up. You know, it's not just like get something done, get it out the door, and then you're done with it. Um What about in terms of like uh I mean the deadline thing is I guess part of the process, but like the process work of designing product versus doing the marketing, like do you have to learn different skills for that? Yeah, is- I think um, a lot of the stuff in marketing comes pretty like heavily scoped beforehand. Um, some of it does and some of it doesn't. Um, but for the most part with the product projects that I was working on, it was just kind of like, we are going to bring this feature into mobile, like figure it out. I have nothing else to give you. And so that freedom of of being able to like explore things from the very beginning and ask a lot of questions that then like you know, maybe led to a little scope creep, but ah, know, just, yes. just the As right, one just does. The Our good map. friend scope creep. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, here I am thinking I'm going to do like interny type projects on this product rotation, like very like entry level, simple stuff. And um, you learn pretty quickly that it's it's not nothing's ever as small. So what did you work anything. on? Um, I worked on a, incorporating some features from the web app into the mobile app, and then. And, you know, there were like we have something called Polish Week where we basically will pick something to kind of like refine and um, like basically make prettier and, you know, simpler because uh, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in yeah. the product that I think yeah. is like legacy stuff. You know, it's like been there for a while, needs a little bit of a tune up. Um, so I got to work on some Polish Week projects. Um, what else did I work on? We worked on like some vision future asana vision questing projects yeah and that was like a big there was like a big presentation to the company and so it was cool to like work on some of those um like you know the like any the world's your oyster you yeah, can, you yeah. can de- design whatever you want which i thought would be easier and it's also no not. <laughs> that sounds very hard <laughs> how, was, how long was the rotation uh it was like six to eight weeks i, I probably did it for how know, long was seven it? <laughs> seven seven and a half ish weeks okay and yeah. then you quit and you were like i'm done with this and then bullshit I quit. <laughs> later skater you guys burnt me out no it was just timing because we had been talking about doing scheduling the rotation since like october uh i think there's like there's have been like a lot of like 
headcount slash staffing yeah. logistics around actually like getting me on a program right. for a couple weeks um, and making sure there's like I'm covered on the marketing side. So it was like it was pretty a pretty big like cross team effort to make this like first rotation happen. So was that your first time designing for mobile apps? Yeah. Like UI? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. How'd Google, it go? Google. I just Google everything and look at like, you know, I look at like other product examples and I don't know. I feel like. Did you have to like pick up different tools? Uh, Prototyping? Did you have to lean into like HIG and material design? Material stuff? design. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, all, all that. I was like. That's exciting. It That's was awesome. exciting. That's a lot to learn all at once. Yeah. I Well, like I said, I thought I was going to be doing like super easy, like. Well like, scoped. Yeah. Yeah. Well scoped projects. And they were like, no, they threw me, they threw me to the, to the wolves. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. I just applied the same like way of figuring things out as I yeah. always have. Like, you know, there's always like new tools coming out and um, you just, you know, you, you got to be resourceful and yeah. like, just like do it. <laughs> so uh, seven and a half weeks later, if you're looking back and you can yeah. tell yourself when you're starting, like, these are the best things to focus on early on. What yeah. would you say to yourself? Um, like sketch things on paper first. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't be afraid. Paper's chill. Don't, yeah, don't be afraid to sketch things on paper. I don't know why in my mind it was like, oh, I'm like, I don't need to like, I don't need to sketch <laughs> I've graduated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a pixel person now. <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, there's like so many different ways like approach a problem. And like, you know, I, I for some reason thought that like I was too good to like just pick up a pencil <laughs> and notebook and just like like Damn. sketch out a couple Damn, different that's options. insulting to the paper. I know. So I know. And then so I and you. then I went back to it and I was like, well cuz I treat I'm it- sorry paper. <laughs> I didn't mean <laughs> to hurt you. Just like pet it, like wh- whis- whisper to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that too. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I uh yeah, once I was able to it, it was like straight up like journaling, you know, yeah. at, at one point just like 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 I feel like I'm like talking to myself as I'm like sketching stuff mm-hmm. and it kind of makes me feel like a crazy person, but it helped me get from, you know, I don't know what I'm doing to like, okay, I have a plan now and I mm-hmm. can actually like execute on that. So if it makes you feel any better, I talk to myself when I am going through that process. Yeah. And I think it confuses Bryn because Bryn goes, <laughs> are you okay? I'm like just, just thinking. <laughs> just leave me alone. Just like give me my space. Just, just thinking. Yeah. 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 He's being very nice about it. He's like, <laughs> stop. Just don't talk to me. <laughs> no, I like straight up talk to myself. Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah, I talk to myself like on, on paper. And then I look at oh, the I talk to myself out loud. Oh, well, <laughs> that might actually be more effective. Yeah. It's helpful. Also, he, like, he just moves his lips. <laughs> it's not out loud. No. Yeah. Uh, weird. Whatever. <laughs> We're all weird. Yeah. Just a little bit. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was another big learning. Um, and then, uh, I think like working out the or like noticing the differences between how our comms team operates and how the product team operates was really interesting. And just like the difference in how like our, you know, comms crit feels like super chill and, uh, you know, like you can throw anything up and it might be like halfway done and it's fine. Um, And then product crit felt a little more um, intimidating. (laughs) I was like really nervous the first time i presented but how'd it go I got through it. it went well it went well i got like very good constructive feedback but nobody was like 
what are you doing? You should just not be doing it. Well, that would be very bad critique. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I I was ready for like an onslaught of just like tearing every little thing that I did apart. And it was, it it got torn down like enough, like in a good way, in a way that I felt good about it afterwards. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. But it was, it's definitely like you have to have your, your shit a little, a little more buttoned up. Then uh-huh. just like, here's my sketch file. Like, I'm halfway through it. What do you think? You know. This next clip comes from episode 199 with the pizza boy himself, Judson Collier. Uh, and we talked about the difference between freelancing and going full time and kind of how the team dynamics change and how your work changes because of it. What a day in the life feels like. Judson's a hilarious person. And this whole episode was wonderful. He even gave us a new theme song at the end. But in this clip, we're going to talk about freelance versus full-time. So here's episode 199 with Judson Collier. I will say that I spend more time than I ever have uh, making dumb posters and printing them out on our Resograph machine, which yeah. is... Also, oh, Justin's rubbed off on you. Super dope. Yeah. Well, that's the expectation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rizo Dad. <laughs> Rizo Dad. He's got a little plaque on his desk that says Rizo Dad. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've been to our office. Uh-huh. but uh, That's where I picked that up. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Did the the work, is this like dramatically different work or is this kind of like the same groove of, of stuff you've been doing? The cool the thing is like we are working in tech, but our the Intercom brand studio is so unique, I feel like, in a lot of ways that, um, that a lot of the work that I'm doing feels similar and that I get to use the same amount of creative. I'm not holding back a lot. Uh, just because in like when I was doing album art and stuff like that, there's not really any like corporate expectations. So you just make some like really fun art and hope that uh, the musician likes it. And for the brand studio at Intercom, like thankfully there's a lot of leeway to do some really interesting work. And so I just get to have fun with it and goof off and, uh, and, and make some really interesting art that gets applied to a lot more corporate things but without that standard like limitation. Does yeah, that make sense? That's kind of the dream, huh? Yeah. That sounds nice. I feel like I'm getting spoiled a little bit. Um, so I feel like that too. Thanks. About him that. or about you? About him. Oh. oh okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I feel like I'm getting a really weird experience of like I'm I don't feel like I'm working at a tech company on like a day to day basis, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh like whenever we're working on like brand studio stuff, it's like pretty nice. Oh, so I will say that the hardest thing about living here and working here moving from like freelance to full time is that I'm constantly exhausted. Uh, like hundred percent of the time, like a hundred percent of the time between like walking everywhere now. <laughs> Cause I walk. Okay. I, I have, thought, okay. When you yeah, first go. said that, I thought JP was working you too hard. No, and I was about to have no a serious conversation. Well, I mean, is 13 hours normal for like a normal work day? Justin. <laughs> That's not really enough. No. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Because those are the lighter days. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I work you know a healthy like, amount. There's you know a- how there's like a country mile? Yes. There's like a San Francisco work day. Oh, yeah. okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, I'm working a very healthy eight hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a lunch. Um, and there's also a coffee break in there. Sometimes. I did have like fajitas at your office one day oh and gosh. I was like, this is the greatest place ever. <laughs> also, man, I'm so spoiled. Like if I ever have to like make my own <laughs> fajitas again, dear God, if I ever have to make my own fajitas again, I'm going to die. Yeah. No, San Francisco spoils you so much. But you're exhausted. I am exhausted. Is that all because of the location? Or the yeah. Work? I have. A, so I have my health app doing like my step tracking yeah, yeah. and in Nashville, I would average like 
maybe 2000 steps a day. And here I average like 12 to 15,000. Oh shit. That's great. Yeah. And so I like constantly going to bed at like 9 a.m. or not 9 a.m. I'm waking up up. I'm waking up at about 6 a.m. and going to bed about 9 a.m. So about a three-hour workday. Pretty intense. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I'm going to bed at like 9 p.m. because I'm just like way too tired from the end of the day. And huh. I think that's partly because like freelance, you just work less in general. Um, I feel like I like would have like an average of like four or five hours of like really solid concentrated mm-hmm. work time. And then I'll take a break get some lunch, go get some coffee and then go back and do another three hours and just be like really productive during those hours. I feel like that's like, I mean, 9 PM is like midnight East coast. So that's true. So maybe I basically. just, maybe I just haven't like yeah, switched time. So you wake be... up really early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wake up around like four or five. AM. Is that what you guys wake up? <laughs> yeah. Normal time. What about the work itself? Uh, kind of, so you had that one year long contract, right? Where you got to, taste working on something for a longer period but now yeah. you're digging into brand at a company i know you're only three months in but yeah does it work different like the yeah. expectation of of now being part of this company yeah i think the cool thing i always thought freelance was like i thought the benefit of being freelance was that you got to work on a bunch of different projects and, and that's really cool and you get a lot of variety in there but the cool part about working like in-house at a place uh that I've discovered this is my first time specifically in-house versus like agency is that like you get to work on a bunch of different stuff all related to one project or one product. Um, and that brings like so much more depth to what you're doing because mm-hmm. you just get to like apply like art in so many different ways under one product and it gets way more specific and way more interesting. So that's been like a whole new experience um, to like dig into. So I think that's been the most exciting part. How has it been working with like a whole team now? Dude, so different than anything I could have ever imagined because there's just so much more time that you get to apply to things that I used to not be able to give much time to at all. Like kind of dig in more. Yeah. You get to dig in more things just get to stick better. And um, like when you're freelance and you're the one designer in control of everything, just not as much time gets to get applied to like little details and things like that. And when you've got a team of we're at, I think we're at seven or eight now. Um, you get to accomplish like so much more. You get to partner up with people, other designers on the same project, which makes life a a lot easier and B your work just gets better Mm -hmm. because you've got somebody else like sharpening what you're working on and constantly giving input. Um, so does that get annoying? No, is that hard to grow into? Um, I mean, I'm sure it's going to take some adjustment and I think it's going to be less of a frustration of like, it's going to be less frustration and more like how do we collaborate better and mm-hmm. how do we both do like what we're both good at mm-hmm. um, without not stepping on each other's toes, but making sure that um, like we're both being able to f- flex the muscles that we're good at um, properly. That's been the hardest part. I mean, hardest part has been like, oh, that's a good question. Thanks. <laughs> the hardest part is that we just don't have enough people on our team. So join our team. We're hiring three designers right now. Uh, 11. Uh, it's a very specific number. 11. Wait, you wait. want 11 designers? <laughs> we want three. <laughs> on top of the eight you have. Oh, oh yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Gosh. 
That's so many designers. That's uh, a lot of designers. That's too many. So honestly. many craft. That that includes our producers, so it's not actually that many. Uh, but yeah. like, so many designers. No, see, but for real, that that's not something you see like whole teams dedicated to at like intercom size. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're getting like, uh, we're in a really nice place. We've got like a lot of support from our CEO to do really cool work. And again, like, I talk about being able to like have a lot of flexibility in the design that I'm doing and that it feels a lot like the work that I'm doing before. Uh, and that's because there's a lot of support from our company to let us do weird stuff and stuff that maybe doesn't, you don't see every day from mm-hmm. like typical startup companies. Um, so that's been like a very cool experience. I feel like we are getting spoiled a little bit. Yeah. That's pretty nice. Work. Yeah. But for real, what's, what's the hardest part? <sighs> Not hiring. Uh, yeah. Um, Hardest part has got to be um, like not even hardest. Like what's just the challenge now challenge, that, now that yeah. you're kind of in it. I mean, I think going back to like, what's it like working on a team? Like I've spent most of my life, even when I was working at an agency, I was the only designer on the agency. Um, so there's been no one's expectations to live up to. And now all of a sudden I'm like thrown out of everything that I'm normally comfortable with. And I've got eight designers who are all, incredibly good at what they do and they've been there a lot longer than me and um and it's great because i'm getting a way more input than i've ever like had before in my life but now i've got these like i've got to live up to what they hired me for (laughs) so there's just like a lot it's i don't know the whole environment's changed so do you like that pressure um, I do. I yeah. like it a lot. Yeah. No, I hate it. I'm going home. I no, <laughs> no I, mean, I hate it. I, I think some people uh <laughs> do really well under that kind of external pressure of like yeah. living up to expectations. I'm one of those people. Yeah. And some people don't. Like that is uh more of a roadblock than anything. For it's not sure. a motivation. Really. I mean, it was a little bit of a motivation for me to move here in the first place because I knew that I was at a point where like I was starting to slow like I didn't feel like I was growing as much because um, because I didn't have that kind of input around me. So it's definitely a pressure, but it's a, it's a good pressure to have. Um, so maybe that's not a great, uh, <laughs> great example of, uh, of, it's hard, but it's good hard. It's, you know, no, it's, I, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I think like coming to grips with what you're motivated by or like what kinds of pressure help you do better work is yeah, probably pretty useful for sure. It's, I, yeah, it's definitely just getting uncomfortable, um, and in learning what makes you uncomfortable, um, mostly JP, mostly Justin Prevorce. Yeah. Uh, so my biggest struggle at the company right now is Justin Prevorce. <sighs> yeah. Next up, we caught up with Conway Twitty himself, Conway Anderson, episode 212. Kanye Twitty, right? Kanye Twitty. Uh, we talked about the hiring process. Uh, so when we talked with Conway, he, he was working on how to think about the hiring process from start to finish, the role of portfolios, and how they're actually hurting designers' chances at getting the jobs that they really want. Really eye-opening conversation because he's thought about this way deeper than most people. Uh, So let's jump into the hiring process and portfolios with Conway Anderson in episode 212. Uh, So, portfolios. So, um, it's a broken (laughs) process. Why, Why do you want to work on it? Um, so I was a self-taught designer and I grew up in like the middle of nowhere and sort of just fell upward repeatedly until finally landing, uh, into 
the design sphere here in uh, tech. Let's talk about falling upward. Yeah. How does that work? Um, wish I knew. <laughs> well, I think you you take learnings from one fall and then you go like another opportunity comes up and you apply them and you fall a little less, right? Like, or you fall later or whatever it is. Like you have to fail and do the falling bit. Just that's how things work. But you should be able to apply those learnings to the next thing. If otherwise, you just fall across, right? Yeah, <laughs> fall sideways. It's, it's on like a flat I mean, plane. it's a metaphor. It's not like a. Yeah, yeah. This is just happening, but. Um. Yeah. So I mean, with falling upward, I think that relates to the portfolio issue, and also just how are people being judged? I mean, if you're unlucky enough to, maybe your first job isn't super great. Then another downside with the whole portfolio system is how do you move on from that? So you go to X company, you don't maybe you don't produce the best work, you don't pick up the best habits. In the current system, it's you got to put in a lot of effort to like leap over that uh, shortcoming. Whereas on the other end, if you just happen to get like a great opportunity, regardless of what happens um, during that period, well, not regardless, but you know. People are like, whatever, you know, you made it. You're there. You have the credential. So you get like these false positives and false negatives. Mm -hmm. And they're a really big deal when you're, I think that we maybe don't consider the severity of what's happening. So or just it's like never go work at a large company. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. There what, you go. What never. do you mean the severity? Um, I mean, you know, these are people's lives. Like this is, I think that design has a potential to be one of the most accessible like fulfilling careers that a lot of people could have but um it hasn't transitioned to that point and i think a lot of or it hasn't that vision or whatever you want to call it hasn't been actualized yet mm -hmm. and i think a big part of that's what are the incentives right there maybe previously there wasn't a lot of incentive because mm -hmm. But now I think there's more opportunities in design than there was a couple years ago, uh -huh. for sure. So we need a new system for evaluating how to connect people to these opportunities. And it's not going to be the portfolio, which is kind of predicated on this idea that you go to school for design. So you come out of school with this nice portfolio. Mm -hmm. And that portfolio is very relevant to all of the people that are hiring you. That's all they need to see. Mm -hmm. um, then they'll do an interview, whatever. Great. Um, if that were true, wh why do we have design challenges and such as part of the interview process? I mean, I th think it's pretty clear that you don't get the entire signal hmm. from a portfolio mm -hmm. already. Um, yeah. Everyone should make tapes like they're applying to the real world and just show off some work while they're in it. Now that's yeah. a startup idea. Now that's a startup idea. <laughs> Volume 10. <laughs> we can just create like a whole like empire of uh -huh. podcasts that just I mean, that, that's with, basically now that's what, what now I that's did. Like yeah. now exclamation point. Yeah. Now, do not confuse that with Zeit's hosting service called now. Dot sh. Dot sh. Yeah. <laughs> it was just called now. Is that supposed to sound like now ish? <laughs> now ish. Yeah, they're like deploy mm, now. Is now we gotta build some stuff soon. This next clip comes from our episode with Laura Helen Wynn. It's episode one hundred ninety three. 
we talk about shipping with ego, like basically prioritizing the first person to move versus consensus with the entire team. So like not blocking on a lack of decision making and not putting yourself in your work so much and not having babies, not just killing your babies, but like not making them in the first place. <laughs> that was great. Uh, let's make sure that's in context of building products. No, don't make babies, Laura Helen Wynn. <laughs> Episode 193. How do you resolve disagreements? Battle. <laughs> Battle Royale. Like- yeah. <laughs> With cheese. <laughs> <laughs> With cheese. That's an excellent <laughs> reference. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, Someone I, builds it. Someone builds it. Yeah. yeah. So, I yeah, mean, so I mean, that the- to me is, I think that. The building wins arguments. Building wins arguments. We like to prioritize individual action over consensus. Hmm. I think that's been the case at most companies I've worked at, and it's been always for the best. Yeah. Say more about that. So, okay. So a really good example, uh, before I joined Figma, which I just left, um, I worked at a political news um, startup called Sidewire, and we had this amazing Android engineer named Grayson. Um, Grayson came from like a video game industry. He did incredible work. He's at EA now doing some crazy other Android work. Um, he could ship something in like an hour or two that like the iOS team, which was two people would take several days to do. And he wouldn't always wait for like design comps or anything. Like we'd talk about the idea for it and he'd just go build it. It was crazy. Like he would just do the thing we hadn't had like a product meeting to develop consensus, which the iOS team would kind of, that's a lot of what the time was, was like we had to like agree that it was the right move. He would just like build it. And if it wasn't the right move, then it was a prototype that didn't get shipped. And like we went back to the drawing board. Like I think that's the best way to move forward with things. Like even if people don't agree, just try the thing. If it doesn't work, great. That sucks. But otherwise ship it. And that's awesome. Like prioritizing that like, individual driving forward is way better than just like stopping and like building consensus and then but i think i think what's underlying that is that there isn't this crazy ego blocking that process or or a crazy ego saying uh you know we built this and it doesn't feel right but it was my idea so we still have to do it and i feel like that's the sign of a good product team is someone that can or a team that can mock something up or create a prototype and whoever made it have the ability to recognize if it's bad and scrap it. Like don't get attached to every little fucking idea. I think that's actually, I think there was some ego, but not in the product decision itself. It was about like, Hey, look how fast I can get this thing done instead of like waiting on you. motherfuckers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that. So kill your darlings have no ego. Yeah. I think it, it should be more about making the thing, but not yeah. inserting yourself in the thing. Yeah. Because you're not need, designing for it's, yourself. It's, it's not you on the yeah. like, art board or whatever. It's I, well, yeah. to, I would say don't even make it your darling, right? Like Ooh, it's just like that. No yeah. darlings. It's no darlings. Just, no scrubs. Mm-mm. No darlings. Okay, I can't get no love. rules to live. Rules to live by. It's just an idea. And I feel like the hardest part for me is, or a, a challenge for me is to recognize that the idea is probably going to be bad the first time around. So you need to... Statistically, most ideas are bad. Most ideas are bad. Statistically, most ideas Garbage. are bad. And like... Love it. You have this vision in your head of this perfect thing that's going to work and it's beautiful. And then you put it on paper, you put it on pixels and it you immediately recognize that it's shit. And so getting to that step 
faster, not getting so attached to the vision in your head seems important. Yeah. I think that, so I was contracting for a contractor for Apple for a couple months last year. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out Hello Elephant. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Um, that was super funsies. And their product culture, um, you do something a hundred times, even if the first, even if you know you're from a gut perspective, even if you know your first idea was right, you need to sketch out 99 more just to make sure. And that was a really good learning, I think. We talked about this in the last episode. That's, that's design process rigor, right? Mm -hmm. Going through and following up on every, not every, lots of possibilities to make sure you've, you've solved the problem in the right way. Yeah. And that's why maybe not, maybe consensus is such a, such a boring word, but I think that getting consensus, getting design consensus or getting, getting input from a lot of different people is a really good way to approach a problem from many different angles so that everyone's thinking about it from a different perspective. And you can make sure that you are not overlooking any weak points in the design, or if there are weak points, you can design around that mm-hmm. and figure out how to make those into strengths. Right. No, the, I think the counter argument to that would be that that takes a ton of time. Yeah. So some companies don't sure. have the privilege of like that time span, right? Why not? Funding, uh, for yeah. example. Usually money. Ooh. Usually money. <laughs> a lack of money, lack yeah. of runway. Yeah. Money or competitive pressures, probably. Yeah. What do you think then? Well, I think that we all need to slow down. <laughs> I Damn think- it, everyone. Just chill out. <laughs> everyone just <laughs> get on my level. Just- just chill. Yeah. Um, I mean, true. that, you know, that kind of brings up a really interesting point about being a designer in San Francisco. There is a lot of pressure to perform and to succeed and to hit those metrics and to get that funding and hit that runway and IPO and all that shit. It's great. I love it. Also, everyone relax, please. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it can be very exhausting. And I think that, I guess I'm afraid that if we're always in a hurry to build and ship things quickly, we're not giving design its due process. Next up from Argentina, we caught up with Mechi Bazan. Uh, she's currently an illustrator at Stripe. And in this clip, she talks about how she pushed through people telling her that she would never amount to much. Basically, people shitting on her career decision. Yo, if you've seen her work, yeah, those people were very wrong. Uh, she showed them in this uh, clip from episode 211 uh, with Mechi Bazan. I'm trying to like imagine being in school, having a job, and having my professor say, if you keep studying what you're going to study, what you're studying, you're going to end up designing grocery store bags and I mean, you already you, had a job and like your professors sound like they're not exactly motivating. And maybe in Argentina, the graphic design isn't super well paid. Like, why did you keep doing it? Um, because if, well, one, yeah, I don't know. I don't see myself doing other thing, like another thing. And also I spent like a lot of time, like five years I wanna quit. I wanted to quit school, and yeah, I was like one year away from like getting my degree. And I then I realized that if I just quit it, probably I will never feel 
Like I started something and I finished it and I finished it like good. For, um, it was super dismotivating though, hearing that and also like a teacher saying that to you. Like I will, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it was in my second year of graphic design and it was so dismotivating. Like, but did it change your relationship with design? Um, no, not really. It just, I shared this with my family, of course, and they were like, but you, you, they saw me cry a lot. And then they were like, you don't have to like be depressed. It's like, you, there is a lot of designers that get like, can leave from design and you don't have to stay here. It's like, and you can get a job just if you just have this mindset that everything is going to be bad and shitty. That's, that's not, not how you get something right done. So yeah, I love my mother. She gave me a lot of good advice, but all my friends in school, we were like, Oh man, we are going to starve and we are not going to be, be able to move from our parents' house. And, but yeah, uh, then when I, I realized that Stripe, uh, working at Stripe was a possibility, um, I said, I told myself, okay. I should just put a little bit more of effort and get my degree and finish something. And when I finished, I feel so relieved. Like it was so rewarding to have a degree. I mean, it means nothing to be honest, just a piece of paper, but all the hard work I put and all the money and yeah, it's just like, oh man, I'm so happy. And I'm so happy I don't have to go back there again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Being done and not having that over your head at all. Oh man, yeah. I mean, I love I love that school so much, but yeah, I don't want to go back again there. No. <laughs> In this next clip, we talked to Jonam Trevetti. Uh, he's a student, and he's talking about getting motivation to learn and and why he still goes to school. And when we've been telling him to drop out for years, and he's been working at Apple and like all these things, he he doesn't need to learn but he finds motivation anyway he doesn't need to go to school he doesn't need to be a student but he's got some good answers here's episode 198 with john trevetti yeah i think the whole like idea of learning how to learn these things is interesting and now that you have learned it and you've been working in code professionally and now you're mentoring other people what are like the common problems that you see people encounter is there maybe where you were five years ago trying to get their first start and like, how would you advise people that maybe don't have that light at the end of the tunnel, but they know that this skill is yeah. valuable because everyone's talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. Like everyone says it's going to help you build better things, but how do I know that? How do I get there? No, absolutely. I mean, I think the most fundamental thing is starting with your own like motivation, right? If you can't find, uh, if you can't find a reason for doing something difficult, you're not going to do something difficult because there's, there are enough other things that are not as painful that will bring you joy that are not that thing, right? So, you know, what I always say is to learn something, find a little, little tiny side project, just like the littlest thing that um, you could build, right? Maybe, you know, maybe I'm super into coffee. Wouldn't it be kind of cool if I could make a little app that I could just like save a couple like, you know, um, bean ratios and and uh, like grind settings and this and that and maybe add a note about like, okay, this one's a little bit bitter. Maybe I could change this, right? And that'll give you the smallest bit and you know something trivial right and now you're a third wave coffee rock star and now you're a third wave <laughs> coffee rock star yeah. yeah 
Just I mean, like that's, that. that's all up in my uh, upcoming book, but... Um, <laughs> how to become a, a third wave coffee rock <laughs> star in one easy step. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you know, you build something small and then you, you slowly snowball from there. And once you get a little more confidence, right? Once you can, once you can see something that you've made, uh, it becomes a lot easier to be like, wait, this is actually accessible. I can keep adding to this in, in small, small chunks, right? You I know. feel like the word in there that you said that res- resonates most with me is the word confidence. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. until you've solved a problem, yep. you don't know that you can solve that category of problems. You need that right. daybook of it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm kind of nodding my head as you say this because this is exactly how I learned is like scratching my own itch, you know, and I think that's a very yeah, common right, common right. sentiment. But with each one is like a little more confidence that mm-hmm. you can try something a little harder, something a little bigger, like expand the the scope of the things that you're trying to build in that. Right. Definitely. And, and if you never get that first dose of mm-hmm. confidence, that first hit, then right. it sucks. You're kind of fucked. Right, right. But if you are lucky enough, you know, then you kind of get addicted, right? You get addicted to the ability of like creating something and scratching your own itch. It's crazy then, rewarding, even oh, if absolutely. it's just for you. Right, 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 right. And then, right, I mean, not even taking into account what it feels like when other people out of their own volition use Which is something that you made insane like that's like, kind of why cool. yeah <laughs> right 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 all right next up from episode 208 we caught up with josh brewer one of the co-founders over at abstract and this clip we talk about his role as a ceo some of the hardest parts working through decision fatigue how he thinks about meditation and prioritization and the way he thinks about hiring the right people to build his business and, and increase his chances of success. Uh, so from episode 208 uh, with Josh Brewer, here we go. What's the hardest part of your job? You're the CEO, right? Yep. Hardest part of my job. Hmm. Possibly context switching. Because I do it literally... 75,000 times a day. Uh-huh. It's, it is just so decision fatigue. And you don't exaggerate either. I'm, I exaggerate all the fucking time. <laughs> well, that's um, a good way to get decisions made. Is like just <laughs> exaggerate them to the point where it's obvious. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, genuinely, I think, I think having to do that, mm-hmm. like, constant, and especially when you're in crunch mode, like, that definitely um, decision fatigue is, a, at least for me, mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, this is a real thing. Like, my brain is just tapped. Um, and I've, I'm very thankful, um, a couple of years ago introduced meditation into my kind of daily ritual and about a year ago made it like every morning up. That's the first thing I do. Like, do not touch the phone, <laughs> do not make coffee. Don't, you know, like go and just get your brain quiet, get centered, just gives you a little bit more space and a little bit more flexibility, uh, to be able to adapt to your day and, the day in and day out routine is like constant, like you got a 30 minute phone call and then you've got a product meeting and then mm-hmm. you need to respond to 17 emails and then you need to uh, run payroll. And then, you know, and you're just like, boom, 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 boom. And I think the really awesome part of my job is that I have been super fortunate to be able to work with some incredible people. Yeah. And um, like the team that we have is some of the best humans uh, that I've ever gotten to work with. And we've really, I think, over-indexed on making sure that we have good people because we spend a tremendous amount of time together. Um, and I think if there's another like 
hard thing in the job, it's going to always be prioritization. Because mm-hmm. I want to do yep. everything yep. now. Do you have a framework to, to work through that? Uh, the back of my hand. Okay. No, um, I, 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 I definitely have... <laughs> Smack it. people around. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was thinking more like look at my hand and just try and like make sense of it yeah. um, and take a guess. No, uh, we definitely have goals that we put in place uh, operating off of like high level company goals and what we know that the product needs to do and being able to actually set some priorities for the company has been super, super valuable, um, I think, for everyone on the team. But mm-hmm. also for me, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be like, I really want to do X. But X maps to like the number four priority in the company right now. Okay. It's not as important as these three other things that map to number one and number two. But it sounds so fun to do number four. I know. Uh, Which means you have to figure out ways to carve out little bits of space to make some progress. And so I feel like we're getting better at being able to do uh, some things in parallel, but not expecting them to all be happening at the same amount of uh, effort, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So Mm -hmm. if there's the number four priority, right, and you can make 10% progress this week on that, awesome. If it means that we can't make any progress on that until one, two, and three are done. So be it. uh, So be it. And me as the CEO, I will just be quiet and I'll stop like harassing (laughs) Kevin about it. (laughs) But seriously, Kevin, what are you doing, man? No, no. (laughs) Number four is there. No, he knows. He knows. Number four (laughs) might just be really fun. Like Sometimes it's really fun. And then sometimes it's like a total pipe dream and it's like 10x the amount of work yeah, that yeah. you think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's always those pieces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, okay. No, that's a great answer. Uh, when you say you hire good people, what does I'm, good mean? Mm, wow. Great, clari- <laughs> great clarifying question. Uh, good is such a subjective term. I know. That's why uh, I want to know. <laughs> so when we use the term good people, um, I use the term good human a lot. Like there's some uh, decency and empathy and integrity in their character, in who they are as a human being. Like take the job and the work out of it. Like as a human being, do they demonstrate um, qualities of caring and um, genuine interest and like I said, integrity, right? Those are huge, huge qualities uh, that impact how we interact with one another as human beings. Because then you layer on top of it all of the stuff that goes into working together, right? And trying to communicate. And I say one word and you say the same word and they mean two totally different things, right? And and having people that want to find where that middle is and be like, we have this phrase in our company. Can you say more? And it basically means... We say say more words. <laughs> yeah, Brent yeah, says say, say more, more words. words. Actually, yeah. it's, it's can you say more or say more words. Those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same uh, same concept, uh-huh. right? And the idea is that, like, I I feel like I got you, but I'm not totally sure. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do right now is assume that I got what you mean. Yeah, arguing with assumptions right? is brutal to team, like... And we identified it really yeah. early on. It was like, great, we're all humans. We have biases. We have assumptions left and right. And the more we can put them out on the table and, like, discuss them and be semi-dispassionate about mm-hmm. it, um, or at least being dispassionate is a whole other thing that's really tough. I said, you noticed I qualified. <laughs> trying, yeah, yeah. Um, trying. <laughs> trying to be semi dispassionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Double qualification. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because, uh, I mean, I'm, if you asked anybody, I'm a pretty passionate person. I, uh, and I have to be very careful with that because A, I get excited. Mm-hmm. And B, it doesn't mean that that excitement means it's right. It just means I'm excited about it. Uh, but being in the position that I'm in, 
you got to be careful. Um, And so constantly trying to uh, make sure that people are treating each other with kindness and respect, making sure that we are enabling and empowering the team to make decisions and be responsible, um, I think is how you build a healthy environment. And so uh, we definitely have a no assholes policy. So that's worked out really, really well. Um, I have had that kind of as a checkbox as long as I can remember if I've been involved in and responsible for hiring. Um, if somebody comes across like they might be an asshole or if they actually really genuinely are demonstrating like, oh my God, you think that you are better it's, than It's everyone. interesting that designers sometimes do that. Like they, they kind of are like, well, it's my job to be like displeased with everything. It's like, no, <sighs> that's not what that is. Say more words. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a, it's a, that's a touchy subject. I think designers tend to be super observant. And so they tend to notice things that are wrong mm-hmm. sometimes more than they notice the things that are right. I've been in that position. I've definitely had to work to not always be the one being like, well, that won't work and that won't work and that won't work and that won't work. Oh, but what about the seven other things that it actually innate? Oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, those but, things. Could, but putting that from a constructive perspective like means a huge deal in terms of like how it's in- interpreted. It's mm-hmm. not just like complaining and like saying other people's work is crap. And yeah, uh, there's, I, and I'm going to totally butcher it. Um, cause I'm blanking right now. Is it a great quote James, by Abraham Lincoln? Oh. oh man. Did you, that would have been clutch. Uh, now it wasn't Abraham in. Lincoln, but, uh, James Murphy. Okay. Um, I think so. If it wasn't you, James, I apologize. Um, said the best way to complain is to make, Mm-hmm. And like, I've always thought that that's a really great frame of reference for that, because if you do something about it, it's much less complainy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're actually taking some proactive measure to not only identify the thing that's not working, but then come with a solution. And I think that designers that inherently operate that way are way more successful um, as designers, but also as, you know, people in the business world and, um, in interacting with other people that you work with. It's also really hard to identify the actual source of the problem until you've like tested other solutions. Huh. It's like there's a thing there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And our final clip for all of our 2017 roundup. All of them. Here we've we go. got Max Schoening. He co-founded Canvas. And then when that didn't work out, he went to Google and now he's at GitHub as a design director. He's working on some cool stuff there. He's talking about hiring and why it's hard and why boot camps don't necessarily get you where you want to be. They don't really give you as much information as you need because they're trying to make you hireable in six months. uh, And that's just a hard sell. Max has some great perspective on it from the hiring side specifically. And he's super smart. I just like this clip a lot. (laughs) That's a good enough reason for me. So here's episode 201 with Max Schoening. Can we fast forward and then come back to college? Yes. Uh, I read this post, uh, I guess it was published this last week, and it was about why is front-end development becoming so fucking complicated? And the person saw it from both sides. is like from one side, you have people that have been doing it for a long time, and they look back at the olden days where, the olden days, uh, previously where maybe it wasn't as complex, but it was a different set of complex problems versus today, uh, it could be argued that getting into front-end development is incredibly intimidating. You have things like React and CSS and JS and build pipelines and Webpack and Babel and I forgot. blah, 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 blah. And like all this context that you have to build before you can be 
productive as a modern day front ender. How do you think about that argument or like what's your perspective on on the state of someone that's trying to learn what you were learning back then, but in today's world? Yeah, to some degree learning, if you just went, took everything that I learned and just do it now, that would almost, I don't know how valuable that skill would be just because front-end development, like you said, has changed so much. I think it's not that we're making things complex on purpose with all the tools you just mentioned. It's that the base requirements of what people consider good software that's right have just constantly risen mm-hmm. and the tooling and the basic are lagging behind yeah so i think it's just the question is whether they will catch up and then it'll there is going to be another point in time just when web standards i guess were around and you could the web was beautiful website sites were exciting um or whether from now on it's constantly this catch up game I lament that it's more complicated and that you have to learn about way more things than you used to. On the other hand, it's also pretty exciting of what we can do now on the web. If Luckily, at least many of those things that you mentioned all speak the same language, even if it's like confusing how they all relate to each other. Yeah, JavaScript is becoming everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was previously. Yeah. It were n- it would be nice if JavaScript was everywhere because it was a great language versus <laughs> because uh, this old it's chestnut in the browser and you had no other choice. Yeah, if it's sort of hard to speculate on this, but if you put yourselves into the shoes of your younger self and you looked at the landscape today and you want to start building applications for the web, where would you even start? Or like, what advice would you give to someone that's in that position? First, I think I would probably, I'm not sure if I would be in this position because right (laughs) now mobile seems like it would have aligned more with my interests back then. So now my interests happen to be web, but because I'm also constantly moving further into the back end versus the front end. But if it were sort of now I'm done with high school, starting college and playing around, I would assume that I would do more on mobile just because that's where my peers would be. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it. I think you would be a task rabbit building Ikea furniture. <laughs> or that. I may do that anyways. I quit. <laughs> to learn web, I actually struggle with this because sometimes people ask me, oh, where, where would you start? And it's really hard to break apart what you, what the unknown, like what you just take for granted when you look at things and look at the universe. So I don't have too much experience with the uh, hack, uh, what do they call them? Hackathons? Boot camps. camps. Um, Sorry. Uh, Yeah, I don't have too much experience. I don't know how good they are and how much you learn. They're expansive. I'm pretty skeptical about the model itself. Very expensive. And the thing i can only judge it by the end result so we've it, it's we've interviewed at heroku for example we always made an effort to try and hire more well that's not true we used to never hire junior people and that's a problem because you should give people a chance and not as expect 25 years of swift development now mm-hmm. and so we made a conscious effort of trying to hire more people that were more junior so obviously you get people from these boot camps 
And there were some amazing candidates, and there were some not so great candidates. So it's really hard with that limited data set that I have draw any conclusions. I would say that probably those boot camps optimize for making you look hireable okay. in six six months. And the question is, how feasible is that? Okay. So on the fence about recommending a boot camp. Yeah, and then it really de- people learn in very different ways. Some people love teachers and love lectures. I personally get bored and can't stand them, and I prefer reading a book or. Yeah, anything that I can control the speed of. Um, the thing is, I don't even know how to slice it. Like, should you learn JavaScript? Who really wants to learn JavaScript? There is nothing. People don't get into programming to learn a language, which is why end-user programming isn't a thing right now. People get into it to solve a problem. But why do I have to learn about what types are and variables. That's not the domain language that I speak as someone who doesn't know how to code. And now I have to learn all of these. So I don't even know what I would suggest there. But clearly, if you had to only learn one single language and wanted to do, don't know what you want to get into, seems like a good option to do, to learn uh-huh. JavaScript. Because at the end of the day, you can build mobile stuff with React. Yes. Uh, Sam Sophis would probably disagree, but yes. Sophis disagree with something? <laughs> Never. <laughs> That was it. That was the last recap episode for this year. We're done. We're on to those new, new, fresh content vibes starting next week. Before we go, thank you so much to our sponsor who made this recap episode possible. Check out Reactor. Okay. Reactor is a product design studio building incredible products for huge brands you've definitely heard of like HBO, Adidas, Supercell, Neverthink. They're currently working on building their own autonomous ferry. Uh, in Finland, and they want you to join them to work on challenges like this. Reach out at reactor with a K.com slash careers. They're hiring for a number of product roles. So no matter what your background or context or experience is, reach out, tell them about what your dream job is, what your ambitions are, what you've done in the past, and they want to work with you to figure out what the perfect job will look like. Once again, that's at reactor with a K.com slash careers. Thanks so much, Reactor, for sponsoring the episode. Thanks, Reactor. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. New episodes. With PJ Budari. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at... (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, my mouth just melted. Uh...